On today's Stuncast, we review Devil in the Dark. A mysterious monster is murdering miners, mining minerals on a mining colony. Can Kirk kill this creature so the Federation can get that sweet, sweet pergeum? Can Spock save this sentient silicon for science? Maybe McCoy really is a bricklayer. Find out on set podcast to stun! Hello, everyone, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explain, explore, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, here with Centurion Corey. Emily Gowron is out this week fighting a war or getting drunk or saving some targs or something. We don't pay attention anymore. All right, well, we're back here with take two of our review of Devil in the Dark. Yep, oops. I own that one. That one's on me. Hey, nobody's, I mean, hey, Pobuddy's nerfed. I did, <laughs> I did have all the audio for an episode that we already recorded, and then I did lose that episode. Uh, remember, kids, always save your defiles discreetly. And uh, if it happens to me, it can happen to anybody. Be careful out there. This isn't the first episode we've lost. We've we have a couple lost episodes that we'll re-record and and put on the back end, but it sucks, man. Right it's now. like it's like losing a child, you know? Mm. It's like losing mm. a newborn baby that I held ever so briefly in my arms and then had to let go into the river or I was turning my back and then it drifted away from me. Um and in my mind, in my mind, I'm like, that was the best episode we ever recorded every single time, you know, we lose an episode. But I can tell you that this last episode we did was uh, a very average episode. So I'm looking forward to punching it up and reusing some of the same jokes again. Yes, exactly. I think I think one of those versions of Miri that we lost was probably the best episode we've ever done. But yeah, see? Sure it was. Not, no, not it was pretty good. in the sands of time, yeah. All right, well, I'm excited to discuss Devil in the Dark again. Corey, why don't you uh, why don't you set us up? Yeah, absolutely, Clint. You know, on top of losing all the audio for the episode, I also lost my notes. So this is just going to be an extremely polished <laughs> sequence of events here. Um, so the uh, I, I don't know, like at the at the onset, this episode is a pretty slow episode. And there's a lot of little things that happen, but like you can summarize this episode up pretty damn shortly. Um, and I'd like to do that here really quick. There is a mine on a Federation colony that is mm -hmm. being attacked by a monster down in the depths. They dug too deep and they found a monster. The monster's goal is to get rid of all of the Federation people on the planet because it doesn't like them being there. The Enterprise is called in to find the monster they find out that this monster, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> they find, what? wait, hold on. They found it, out, what did they find out? It's intelligent. Yeah, they find out yeah. that this monster is intelligent and they make an arrangement for the monster to live safely with the colonists in a mutually beneficial relationship. So that's the episode. But there's, you know, yes. it's 46, 48 minutes of uh, suspense. It's a scary episode, Clint. It is a scary episode. The episode actually starts with uh, sex and fear uh, in the top left corner to let you know mm -hmm. that one of those, of those warnings. Things. But I think that's the 
the general warning for all of Star Trek, if you watch it on Netflix, they're always sex, fear. Yeah, that's a little lazy, though, isn't it? Like, they don't, mm-hmm. it's kind of promising something that's not there. But anyway, I haven't seen any well, of the sex yet. Seen plenty of fear. Exactly. Well, it's, I think it's just like, I mean, we. I've never seen a sex scene. It's always been kind of like implied or, you know, they cut to black or something. So I think even when a show acknowledges the existence of sex, that they have to put that warning up there. Now, what do you think like the line is for sex for because like obviously they're not going to show like full penetration. Do they just have to allude to it? Like if McCoy's like, oh, yeah, I met her on Riza, if you know what I mean. Does that boom that gets sex? Oh, man, maybe I'm not watching the official Star Trek because definitely seen a lot of Star Trek uh, media where there's full penetration. <laughs> I really don't want to know that, Clint. <laughs> plenty of probing yep. <laughs> I, don't, I want i want to say it's more for maybe it's for each individual series because i feel like they acknowledge the existence of sex more in tng but i don't know like the the moments i can remember is when mccoy was hanging out with the call girls in the the planet where all their thoughts became reality <sighs> Oh, yeah, like the smut that they showed us of those two ladies in the bikinis. Oh, mm-hmm. I hate seeing smut on television. Yeah. <laughs> you should be a censor. You make, you'd make you make a good censor, Corey. You're very puritanical. I'm trying to look up the sex and fear thing, and I'm not seeing anything. I just came up with something called genophobia, which is the f- <laughs> fear of sexual intimacy. So mm. that's not that's not what I'm looking for. One time I want to I want to see it reversed in the the TV guide warning or whatever the parental guidelines and I want fear sex <laughs> with an exclamation point brought to you by Southern Baptists. Okay, let's <laughs> jump into this episode, Clint. Okay. It starts off great, right, Corey? Yeah, it's like a really scary like the music is scary and I want to put a plug in here. So you can hear how scary it is. We just see like an overshot of an industrial yard. And then suddenly um, we're inside of a mine deep underground as mines are. And there's a bunch of uh, old, we describe them as George Costanza bodies standing around yeah. in a mine. <laughs> what does Emily call them? She has a specific I name forget. for that body type. I'm sorry. Yeah. I said they're stocky. They're stocky. Yeah. Which is what George Costanza says he is. Yeah. They're all like, they're not. They're not fat, but you can like see a little bit of a belly, but that's probably what obese looked like in the 1960s. Yeah, they're they're like paunchy. Yeah. 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 Um, and they're all pretty concerned that there's this monster that has killed 50 men already. Mm-hmm. And it's coming back for more. So what they do is they leave one guy behind to guard the tunnel while the other miners go to like look for the monster in another tunnel. This was such a great exchange because he's like, Do I have to guard this tunnel? And then he's like, yeah, we need someone guarding this tunnel. Stop being a baby. You have a phaser. And then I think his name was like Schmitty or something or like Schmitter, right? (laughs) And then the guy's like, stop being a baby. You got a phaser. And then Schmitty said, that didn't help anyone else. And the foreman told him, well, just do it anyway. I don't care if you die. So lots of people die in this episode. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of people. I don't know, like five or six people. Um, but every single time someone dies, the 
the sequence is the same where the camera it's like a shaky cam and it like like instantly just creeps up on the person and then the, and then that person locks eyes with the camera and then their eyes go all wide and they scream and then the camera lunges at them and then it cuts to black so that's how the deaths happen they get uh, burnt to a crisp yeah they get that's burnt what we to a find crisp. out later yeah then the enterprise shows up and spock bones mccoy oh wait no we we said we, we can't do bones in the middle they <laughs> Uh, Spock, Kirk, <laughs> yeah. Spock, Kirk, and McCoy beam down to the planet, and they meet with the head, with the leader of the mine, and the leader just kind of gives them the rundown on everything that's going on, and um, ostensibly, the the mine colony. Okay, so first of all, about the mine. Wait, do you remember the details about the mine? Because we watched this episode like I... two weeks ago. Like they they mined something very valuable for the Federation. Well, the the I think the biggest thing they mind one they talk about how it is a geological treasure trove. Like there's all these minerals and mm-hmm. different things that they mine, but also it's pergeum, which yes. is a made up. It's a made up mineral. I think they use it for energy. I, I don't think they define how they use it, but they just say that every starbase every colony needs this mineral and they are the biggest suppliers of it star not star star bases and ships will start to shut down without this element if they don't get this element they're going to start losing life support and they can't continue their mine operation with this monster there so yeah therein lies the rub and and before we get too deep into the plot i just want to talk about the sets i thought the sets were hilarious i think you thought they were a bit more a bit more better done but it's just like corridors i mean they make it look like there's rocks and tunnels but all the tunnels are completely flat and then you just throw all this junk everywhere they just like all this crap oh yeah they just like put stuff on the ground like there's uh, a crate here or so it's like um you know when you play roller coaster tycoon and you want to design your park and you you start to get into that side of it and you're like, I'm going to make a mining camp. So you just set down like one, like like three boulders and then like a lamp and then like a trough and then you're out of money. Like that's basically what it is. It's just like what what are the, like the six props we can put down to illustrate that this is a mining camp? Yeah, I, I thought it was hilarious. It was so what, what a great example that so many people can relate to. Yeah, it's just like trash. That just like rusty garbage and then rocks that they put down. But I definitely know like, yeah, when in Roller Coaster Tycoon, there's like little bits of trash everywhere. That's exactly what this is. Okay, so ostensibly this mine colony has asked the Enterprise to come help. But at mm. the same time, after they they brief our, our heroes on the situation, they're also total dicks to them. They're like, let's see if you can do this with your starship. Like, I don't know, like, they had, like, this beef with the Enterprise having a lot of technology. I don't know. I didn't really understand it. But, like, everyone was, was kind of cool or hostile to the Enterprise being there when they invited them in the first place. So that was something that I thought kind of it, bothered me. I thought it was just the guy in, like, the fuchsia jumpsuit, which the colors of their jumpsuits oh, yeah. in this episode are on point. They are just fabulous and technicolor. It's amazing. It's like but the just, goddamn Power Rangers. Everyone has like a brightly colored Easter <laughs> pastel suit that they're wearing. Yeah. I think this colony. guy has like the guy who they who hates them, though, 
with his fuchsia jumpsuit is that one's the best and i thought he was going to come up again later in the episode but he doesn't he's just there for that scene he had like a, oh, just to be a jerk. That's he he had like a distinct hair. He had like this is you know every, this is the '60s still, so everyone has like that clean crew cut hair. He had '70s hair, and he had a fuchsia yes. jumpsuit, and he never comes up again. And I was just like left wondering who the heck is this guy. But yeah, we never he, see him again. He's, he appears again at the end of the episode. I don't think he really does anything though. I remember not being too impressed, but like he's very background character. Uh, okay, so the the away team, um, they say that they're going to look into this, and the briefing is just about to end when suddenly an alarm blares, and everybody races down to the reactor room, because it's an alarm specifically for the reactor room, because the monster has struck again. Uh, we see the monster kill another person, and then um, go into this reactor room, they burn a hole, they leave... Right after they leave, the away crew shows up and they see that the the room has been breached and the monster has taken one of the most critical parts of the colony for the colony's survival. And it's like a a pump to keep the reactor running for their life support, I think. No, I think it's like it's like a pump, but it's like a filter. It's like a filter to filter out bad stuff and poison because I think they said they were going to like be poisoned or they were going to suffocate to death if they don't get this thing working again. Okay, yeah. So now we have two problems. Not only do we need to get this mine up and running for the Federation to get its its fix, but also if they don't find this monster really fast, then the colony is going to have to be abandoned. I don't think anyone's going to die. I think they're just going to abandon the colony, which is what exactly what the monster wants. But that's what mm-hmm. we find out a little bit later. So let's take a little bit of a... So they all meet back up in the director's office. And what you're saying about the sets is true because there are not a lot of sets in this episode. There's basically the caves and then there's the director's office. And I remember reading somewhere that they wanted to have uh, a briefing on the Enterprise itself. Note that the Enterprise, I don't think, shows up in this episode until like the last 15 seconds or so. Isn't What about Scotty? Because there's a part where they talk to Scotty. Isn't he talking to them from the bridge of the Enterprise? He... Hold on, let me look real quick. Not that I see, man. I don't think that... I don't think that they talked to him on the Enterprise because he comes down to talk to them. It, it might be. I'm not saying that the Enterprise doesn't show up at all, but I just read that they um, they were going to do a briefing up on the Enterprise, but they didn't want to prep the set for that many people and to like, you know, bring in chairs and stuff. So they just did the briefing back in the director's office. So in this episode, you really just have the caves and the director's office and they just kind of ping pong between the two. I have, I have the scene up right now and it is scotty on the enterprise but it's just one wall you don't even get like a wide shot of the bridge it's just him against a console there's like a guy working next to him and then there's a picture of like a galaxy right next to him or whatever and then that's it so they just prepped one wall yeah they just did one wall and and shot scotty against that and yeah at the end they just have spock and mccoy talking i'm sorry spock and kirk talking to each other but you just see like the same wall behind them so anyway i'm not gonna i'm not trying to shit on them or anything it's just that uh the the settings do get a little bit repetitive but Mm -hmm. anyway back at back at the director's office spock notices that there is this spherical it looks like plastic basically but it's like a spherical mineral 
and uh, he asks the director about it and the director's like ah we found thousands of those down in the lower levels where we were just digging it has nothing to do with the plot they're Don't made of silicon they're made of silicon yeah and that gets spock thinking that it might be like related to the monster because these eggs showed up in the same place where the monster came out but they kind of let that plot point go for a little bit as spock mm-hmm. ruminates on that i it was so it's so easy to tell what these spheres are and you accidentally said it as well i don't know if we'll edit that out but it's just like you can see this coming from a million miles away yeah yeah i mean and we we've had this conversation a couple of times on this show does that retract from the quality of the program itself when this thing that we're watching was the seed for a lot of cliches and for a lot of science science fiction beats that we'll you know we'll see very often have we just been so primed to these types of stories and these uh these endings that, that that like that detracts from like the original quality of the thing here's the question i have would this have surprised people in the 1960s i don't know i don't maybe i don't think so i don't know well it should because the entire episode like builds up to the fact that this monster is just a mom trying to protect its babies Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it like reveals that oh go ahead do you think it would have been surprising no man <laughs> not at all they're they're these spherical things and they are looking for a monster and the monster is acting weird so like i don't know i think if you were a child they would have surprised you but i don't think any adult children are easily fueled and yes. they don't know about the sexual reproduction process and they rarely uh, know especially fear of, especially of silicon-based monsters they really don't teach that in schools like they should Especially back in the 60s. I I said I was going to look more into... Because Spock like, starts talking about silicone-based life forms and how there's evidence that they might exist. And, oh, yeah, I just thought of something. If we were ever to link these two things up, we could say, like, these are eggs for the silicon avatar. You know? Like, they come in little eggs, and then they hatch from this planet. And, like, like moths, they just spread out into the galaxy. Because it like checks what? out silicon, silicon. What are you talking about? The silicon avatar? The crystal entity. Oops, never mind. Oh. That's the name of the episode. The silicon avatar? Really? Wait, is it? what, Dude, what is silicon avatar? What did I... <laughs> That's like my Burning Man name, I guess. <laughs> yes, that is the name of the episode where Data meets his mom. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. You know, usually when people say that's interesting, hmm, it means it's not really interesting. <laughs> no, I was just, it made me think. I was noodling on it. Uh, so, go ahead. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, um, I love, I think my favorite part, one of my favorite parts is the guy in the fuchsia jumpsuit was like, I shot it with a phaser. And then Spock goes, fascinating. He was really interested in that fact that it got shot with a phaser. Well, I think he was interested, too, that it didn't really do any damage. And then they found out that the, the colonists' weapons can't hurt this thing, but the, mm-hmm. the, the Enterprise's weapons, their phasers can hurt it because there are two types of phasers. And do you remember what they are called? It's type 1 phasers, right? And type no. 2 phasers? No, 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 no. 
No, it's phaser one and phaser two. And phaser two. Okay. So colony has phaser one. The enterprise has phaser two. I fell into this trap last time as well. Yeah, you did. I thought you would have learned something in the last <laughs> week. Idiot. Okay, so Kirk assembles a bunch of people from the Enterprise to beam down to look for this monster because the clock is ticking. They have to find it. Spock and Kirk decide to go John Rambo. They send the search party out in the lower levels to find this thing. Spock and Kirk are kind of by themselves, and they they hear one of their crew members screaming because he just got roasted to, and they run over there, and... Is that when they see the monster? Yeah. And then they see the monster and it's kind of scurrying away uh, into a tunnel that it made because this thing like gets so hot that it can make these big circular tunnels in the rock. That's how it gets around. And let's talk about this costume, Clint, for the monster. How would you describe it? Uh, It looks like Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. (laughs) So it's really... Okay. I'm going to describe it as like a shag carpet that has mold growing. It's like an old soggy shag carpet. Yeah, it's a little gnarly looking. The In the behind the scenes, they talk about how... So this costume built the script. The, the script didn't make the costume. Basically, like the costume designer for TOS went into one of the producer's offices and he's like, Hey, look at this weird thing that I made. And the guy's like, Holy moly, that's cool. I'm going to build an episode around that. So, I mean, that's cool. It's, it's no different than Quentin Tarantino, like putting on a record player and writing a scene to whatever oldie song he's listening to. But when they shoot this thing, cause they shoot it with their type two, I'm sorry. No, they're phaser two. They shoot it with their phaser two. They, idiot. they <laughs> sorry, they knock off a chunk of it. And then the thing scurries away. And then they immediately, they immediately just go over and pick this chunk up and start inspecting it. I Yeah, Spock picks it up, which I think is the craziest thing ever. I want to iterate that it's not burning people alive with heat. It's actually jumping on them and emitting like an acid and then eating them alive with the acid. But it just looks like they're being burnt to a crisp. So it's crazy that Spock just picks up the chunk with his bare hands. Yeah. And his hands just don't melt off. That's an OSHA violation. Yeah. That's no, for sure an OSHA violation. I'm gonna I'm gonna submit that one. But yeah. the the way the the costume is painted is it looks like if you were trying to paint lava, you know, with mm-hmm. like yellows and orange and reds. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of it they put like um like beef stroganoff or something like that. But there's like, some like, yeah, there's some like green tones in it as well. They didn't know that it did acid at the time. They just assumed it burnt people. And then he just picks up this thing that is painted exactly like lava, like two seconds after he shoots it. I want to go back a little bit because I just want to talk about how cute the relationship building between Spock and Kirk is. Because earlier in the episode, Spock and Kirk are having this argument of whether to try and capture this creature alive or Mm. if they have to kill it on site and kirk argues that they need to kill it on site it's already killed 50 people which is a lot of people it killed a lot of people for sure um it's more than most serial killers so it has killed a lot of people and kirk is saying it's too dangerous we gotta kill it and spock is saying you know this is an interesting creature we have to study it for science 
So that's kind of the tension between the two. And Spock is also kind of like subverting Kirk's orders a little bit. Like he's telling the men like, oh, try and stun it uh, Mm -hmm. before you try and kill it. And Kirk's like, no, we agreed that we're going to kill it. But then later on in the episode, Kirk is face to face with this creature and he's talking to Spock on the comms um, through their communicator. And Spock is telling Kirk, Kirk, you're right in front of it. Kill it. You know, you got to murder it. And Kirk says, what what do you mean? You're the one who wanted to capture it. And Spock says, it's too dangerous. You got to you got to kill it now. So it's just nice that their friendship or or whatever you want to call it. It's so strong that that Spock kind of goes back on his his scientific curiosity. And then he's just so worried about his his friend Kirk. Uh, yeah, I mean, he they, they totally swap positions there. And like even at one point, Kirk is like, Spock, why don't you go up and help out on the ship? Uh, someone needs help with something. And Spock kind of reads that Kirk is just trying to get rid of him because Kirk thinks Spock is going to try and um, blow this mission up and, and make it so that the monster gets away. Because you can see Kirk's point of view of why he wants to kill the monster. It's not like he's being heartless and callous. He literally was sent here to do that that is like his his job and this resource is so vital to the federation that he is not going to let any scientific intrigue get in the way of preserving the federation's security yeah yeah and then yeah like you're saying kirk kind of switches positions too because he's like about to shoot it or like shoot an egg or something and the monster like shuffles around and then he like kind of puts his phaser like doesn't point it at that and kind of shuffles towards him and he he points it at the monster again and it like shuffles away so he can tell that this monster is intelligent and then he's like oh maybe i won't murder you yeah yeah i mean he finds a different a different way to deal with this problem mm-hmm. he doesn't have to yeah. use aggression if he can use diplomacy the scene you're talking about is um the only thing that happens in between is that um Spock and Kirk continue looking for the monster. Now Spock knows he can track it with his his tricorder, like searching for silicon, because now they know for sure, because they held a piece of it that it's made out of silicon. <laughs> they they decide to split up, and then all of this stuff happens. Uh, Kirk gets caved in. The monster finds him. Uh, Kirk tries is attempts to shoot the monster, but then he realizes the monster doesn't have any um, hard feelings, and that the monster is actually intelligent and wants something from Kirk. Uh, and not to murder her babies is what yeah, she wants yeah. from Kirk. So I just want to clear something up. The, the monster killed everybody else that it ran into, into the, in this mine, but it doesn't kill Kirk. And I don't think it's because of plot armor. I think it's because they had injured it with that shot and the monster couldn't do the, it's acid thing anymore, but no, it does. It's acid thing. It crawls up on a rock and writes a message to Kirk after they kind of establish friendly relations. What did mm-hmm. it say? What did it say in the rock? It was no like kill. Por- I no kill. I and yeah. Kirk's like, don't you mean don't kill me? <laughs> or I know kill. Like I won't kill you. It was me as a ambiguous. direct object. I is the subject. Stupid rock. <laughs> This this beast doesn't have any intelligence at all. After all, uh, I thought it was it was not attacking him because it knew that Kirk could defend himself against it, so it knew it couldn't 
if it got too close to Kirk, Kirk was going to shoot it to death. So that's why I thought it backed off. At, at the point where Kirk gets stuck in the cave with just the monster, apparently not that stuck because Spock finds him pretty quickly um, once he asks Spock to come over. But that is around 27 minutes in the episode. Mm -hmm. Kirk and Spock fuck around with this monster and try and like figure out what it wants until about 43 minutes into the episode. So they spend a lot like most of the episode is them just in this room with this monster while Spock tries to communicate with it using his his Vulcan mind meld. Um, And that this is what i really this that that portion i just oh it was like grinding teeth it just lasted forever and ever and ever especially when i already knew that the monster didn't mean anyone harm because of the way it was acting and then it just wanted to protect its eggs and that they were going to have a peaceful resolution to the episode so it was just like 15 minutes of just like oh what's going to happen this is a very slow episode like this is an episode that could have been half hour long and it would have been all the better for it but this is a very slow boring episode do we want to talk about the interaction between spock and the monster i mean there's there's a lot of drama and acting in in those in those parts i i do like when spock is touching it and like channeling the beast and Leonard Nimoy is like, oh, pain. The the chamber of secrets. I forgot all the stuff that he was saying. He he was saying some like uh, Ray Bradbury. This is the name of a chapter like the the council of tomorrow. Like he was just saying a bunch of sci-fi shit. Eternity lasts forever. Yeah. And he does that for a long time. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention in this episode was that on th- on the sh- on the set while they were filming this episode, while they were shooting this episode, Kirk's William Shatner's father died, and mm-hmm. it happened at the moment where Spock and Kirk first run into their the, the, their first dead crew member who has just been killed, and then they shoot the monster after that so right after right right when that scene starts where they run up to their burnt up crewmate william shatner got a phone call and he found out that his his father had been killed i'm sorry that his father had died but the class act that william shatner is he goes right back into shooting after that and the next scene he had was him kneeling down next to this burnt up crew member and just like reflecting on it and looking really sad and at the time i was like i'm glad that they put that scene in that he's not just like rushing to like go get revenge on this monster or not you know he just lost a crew member but also like he looks pretty profoundly sad and it's because he just found out his dad died um yeah i have to go back and watch that that scene to just because that really does bring some new context to it so it is that is really interesting it's at 1752 if you ever want to watch it Okay. So there, there also there's a little bit of a there's a, there's a lot of stuff that happens at the end. So a lot of stuff happens at the beginning. Lots of exposition, big info dump. Lots mm-hmm. of stuff happens at the end. In the middle, it's pretty slow. Yeah. Let's just talk about the stuff that happens in the end. I mean, obviously yeah. they find out that it's an egg, and that the mom is just trying to protect the eggs. Uh, what else happens? Well, we find out the way the way this race propagates itself is. There's thousands of them, right? Because this was a mystery. They're like, 
uh, Spock is saying how there's so many tunnels. This couldn't have been made by one creature. So they were saying it's either one creature who lived for super long or a bunch of creatures. So they find out that these creatures breed and how their life cycle goes is there's tons of them. And then a generation begins to die off until it's just one of them. And then that one lays tons of eggs, thousands of eggs, and the eggs hatch. And then there's thousands of them again, and it it rinses and repeats. Yeah, like like cicadas. Yeah. Or the monster in Jeepers Creepers. Oh, is that how that monster works? I think it's every seven years it wakes up again and then does its killing. And then it goes back into scarecrow form. Yes. Uh-huh. Did you did you ever watch Jeepers Creepers? I saw it on TV a little while ago. I saw the like last half hour of it. It always scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. But not the second one with the school bus. That one's just even fifteen year old me was like, okay, this is pretty stupid. <laughs> we also find out that McCoy can actually fix this monster. He comes down and he's like, damn it, Jim. We get our first damn it, Jim. Damn it, Jim. I'm a surgeon, not a bricklayer. Yes, exactly. And he calls down for cement because the cement they have up on the Enterprise has silicon in it. And he's like, yeah. aha, I figured it out. I can, I can't. Because he was like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And then he he does it and he uh, fixes the monster up. There's a you scene where it was a, it's a real it's a real rush for him. He really oh, yeah. is like feeling the power of God coursed through his hands. And what he said, he's like, Oh, next I'm going to, you know, I might have the cure for a rainy day. Yeah. While his hands are covered in cement, like wet cement and his eyes are just wild. Yeah. It's, it's fun. (laughs) There is the, the, the tiniest, Ooh, just tiny, tiny little hint of a B plot where the colonists, it's not a B plot. It's a complication, but the colonists, um, don't want to hear anything about this parlaying with the monster. They want to kill it. So Kirk orders his own crew to hold the colonists back, but the colonists are out for blood. So too many of their people have been killed. So finally the colonists break through. I think they, they beat the shit out of some, some enterprise crew members and then they get into the tunnel and then Kirk's like, stay back. And then he explains the situation to them. Yeah, and I think once they find out that it's a mother, they all they all turn, change their tune. Yeah, it's weird. There's like a collective aww from like 30 men. I thought that part was pretty cheesy. Didn't they also grab like pipes and bludgeoning objects to attack the beast? Yeah, there's a line where they're like, I'm sure it's not immune to getting hit by a fucking baseball bat or something like that. <laughs> That's exact the exact line, which I don't think they thought that through. To be honest, because it, you shot it with a phaser and it didn't do anything. So you guys are going to go beat it up with a bunch of clubs. You guys are all just going to get turned into, you know, crispy chicken nuggets. So, yeah, the way that it ends is that the mob, they get talked down, which is pretty impressive. But the mob decides not to kill the the ba- the mama monster. And Kirk comes to some sort of accord spock and kirk have been or spock has been mind melding with it and kind of translating it and so kirk comes to the realization that this monster could be useful right 
they they have found out that this thing can cut tunnels way faster than any phaser or any digging equipment that they they can create. Mm-hmm. So they arrange some sort of a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. Except the monster doesn't get anything from it other than not being murdered, which I don't feel is like a benefit. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There was there wasn't even like a Beowulf thing where it's like once every year send us your most beautiful George Costanza man <laughs> to be consumed by my children. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing. I mean, I guess the monster wasn't going to be killed. Like that was what it got out of the deal. Because it wasn't going to win that fight. Yeah, but it's just it's it's not a great message, right? Where it's like, "Well, we're just not going to kill you." Like that should be a given. That you're not going to murder this monster or murder this creature. But that is the exact same deal we have with the dolphins, Clint. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot about our the human accord with the dolphins. Yeah, they, they heard the tuna and they put the yeah. tuna where we need it and we don't eat them. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it does reflect the real world. Yeah. They weren't dummies in the 60s, Clint. Yeah. <laughs> What was that? We we didn't even say the name of the creature. What wasn't it like a hawk? horta? Horta. Horta. That's it. A horta. horta. It sounds like like a, a Mexican rice drink. A horta. Uh, I guess horta does sound like horchata. You're right, yeah. Clint. <laughs> I was the worst Spanish speaker because I, I would always leave my H's. Like I would not silence them. Like I'd say "holado." Hola. So. <laughs> yeah. so. Anyway, um, yeah, so I think, too, that was the thing. I know this annoyed Emily, too, was that they decided not to murder it based on because it has some sort of purpose in capitalism now. So now that they can continue to consume this this planet with the help of the monster, I just think, too, like, I don't know what the monster, I, we said this, but I wish, like, the monster was getting something out of it. Like, maybe uh, it doesn't like uh, Pergeum. Like, it's either poisonous to it or it slows it down in some way. Like, I think that would have been a better way to, to wrap up the episode was like, okay, we're removing this these objects that you don't like in your environment. And then we can use this stuff that you don't like to fuel stuff. See, I didn't really see the parallel between capitalism and forced labor because in this society, capitalism does not exist. It is, it's like industrialization, I suppose, but like no one's making any money off of this, which leads me to question why someone would, if you aren't making any money in this world and you can do anything you want with your life, why would you become a colonist on a poisonous planet mining down in a dangerous acid filled mine when you could like just kick it on a beach, you know? But anyway, maybe they like the adventure. They still have like a capitalist mindset. If we think back to this side of paradise, which was supposed to be an agricultural uh, agricultural planet, and they were auditing the planet to kind of figure out what they were doing, and one of the peon, one of Kirk's officers reported, "Oh, they only grow enough food." To feed themselves, they don't even have any excess food to export. And well, that was I, like a huge problem. I could and... imagine that they had some sort of an accord where the Federation will supply all of your basic needs, but you need to be able to produce food for uh, export to other colonies that are nearby. 
Now, I, I think that this, I here, okay, here's the thing. They're, they have a food replicator, and I want to talk about the food replicator really quick, if you don't mind. In this time period, they have a food replicator, and they can make anything. It's just resequence protein. You put protein in. I don't know where they get the protein. Don't ask. But you put protein in, and then you put a little chip in something, and then protein comes out. Uh, I'm sorry. Food comes out in whatever configuration you want it to be. Is that correct? Kind of. I remember there was an episode, if we think back to Charlie's shit, though, where mm-hmm. Kirk was giving orders to the kitchen, and he was saying, oh, if they have to eat synthetic meatloaf, I want it to look like turkey. Okay, yeah, that was an early episode, and I just want to talk about the way that the technology is viewed now, where replicators during the TOS time could make food but that's about it. And it wasn't like the thing about TNG is that they could make literally anything with a replicator. So Mm -hmm. like in the TNG world, DS9 Voyager, would you have a mining planet or a mining colony when you can literally replicate anything you want? But the way that replication works is that you have to be able to replicate something that is less dense than, or less complex than the Thing that you're trying to make and that's why latinum is so valuable because it's like the most dense thing in the universe that you can mine so you could never replicate it well it's there there are things that are unreplicatable like you're right latinum you can't replicate but i don't like dilithium crystals you have to mine those because they're they're too complex there's also certain chemical compounds they that they can't synthesize because they're too complicated so it's just kind of whenever the plot needs them to not be able to replicate something they can't replicate it okay that that was all just to say would would by tng did they did they innovate their way out of like this kind of a post colonial i'm sorry out of this like colonial mindset where they have to go to planets to extract resources to grow more do you think by TNG time they're able to just produce everything that they really need to on their own planets? Because like when people go to colonies in TNG, it doesn't seem like they're going to colonies to do like a specific task. It seems like they're just going there to like make babies. You know, it's not like we're going to this colony so we can grow. Mind this? No, I I do I do agree with you that in TNG they're less colonial, but they do still have mining outposts. And places where they do mine things. So there's still mining. It's just like in TNG, they can replicate clothing where in TOS, they couldn't do that or that you never see them do that. So, so yeah, I mean, I would say they're a bit more post-colonial in, in TNG. So anywho, what did you think about this episode ultimately, Clint? I'm lukewarm on it. Like I didn't hate the episode, but I didn't love it. So I'm kind of in the middle. I have a favorable view of it, but I did think it was pretty slow and pretty boring. Yeah, I wouldn't want to watch it again. Um, it had its entertaining moments for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I, I like, I liked, I liked the concept of the monster. And I wasn't going to let the cliché-ness of it ruin it for me. But yeah, pretty slow burn. I I do like, I almost feel like we do get an evolution or some character growth from Kirk. 
because usually he just murders his way out of these problems. That's what we saw with the the salt sucking monster where I didn't feel like they had to kill it, but they killed it anyway. And so in this one, they didn't have to kill it and they didn't kill it, which is great. So I felt like it was a an evolution for Kirk as a character. And I'm curious to see if the Horta ever show up again in Star Trek. Let me just look in my uh, memory banks here really quick. <laughs> Computer, search file for Horta. It would be hilarious if the, in TNG, the Horta become like a race. They could have like little like devices that translate their thoughts into English. And they're, <laughs> they're on the Federation Council. You could see them in, I don't know if there's a Federation Congress, which is weird. I think... We really don't see the like deliberative bodies or any sort of government. We do meet a a federation president once. But yeah, it would be well, nice I guess to see like Congress or something. I guess the I I imagine the federation's just like a bunch of admirals because it's not a government. But bo- oh no, it is a government body. Yeah, there, is there like a Star Wars Congress? I were they all just because so, Starfleet is also different from the Federation, right? Starfleet is a pseudo military organization, but the Federation is a, you know, collection of planets that all band together. So they have to have some sort of Congress or some sort of democratic body because it's the Federation is definitely a democracy. But you never I, see. I really wish Congress. I really wish Enterprise had like finished out what the story was trying to tell because it wanted to talk about like the whole reason they put that show up is they want to talk about how the federation was formed and then they never actually got to that about how the um was it, was it the the andorians the vulcans the humans and the balerians all came together to form the federation and we could have seen more about how they would have organized themselves because I, I think it is pretty unclear i i really don't hey the horta do show up in uh ds9 well really a computer screen for a couple of seconds oh okay <laughs> you remember that you remember that scene in- i don't remember that <laughs> but next time i watch ds9 i'll i'll look out for it yeah just take a look out for it it's in um deep space nine okay i'll keep my eyes peeled i'll, I'll watch the whole thing this weekend just to try and find it uh both occurrences are in season one so mm. Just watch, just watch that one. I think too, like Tranya pops up one more time in DS Nine. Like Quark offers it to someone. They're like, "Oh, do you want some Tranya?" Which is so. bullshit because that was like something that was owned by a very reclusive culture that did not want to fuck around with other people. But they're just like, like Quark should not know what Tranya is, <laughs> unless that Maybe. dude that they left behind on the ship with Clint. Clint Howard like gave him the recipe and then he came back and he gave everybody the recipe. <laughs> Unless that happened, I don't think Quirk sh- should know what Tranya is. And I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> Maybe that's the only thing, the only way they interact with other, other cultures is by exporting Tranya. Cause he really loved that Tranya. Shit's good. Yeah. Yeah. So to add on, if, the the Horta joined the Federation like that makes sense because th- they are intelligent they're, they're yeah. not like bugs and they're not like stupid minerals like they are into- like the, the goddamn thing can read and write 
and it can communicate and it uh it has like complex emotions and thoughts like that that that's what they're out there to do and it, it was kind of crazy that they weren't like holy shit this is a brand new sentient form of life we've only found like six of these so far like and it's completely based on a totally alien chemical makeup right this totally blew their mind that this was a silicon based life form and to that point too bones is so annoying this episode we didn't talk about this but early in the episode spock was wondering and theorizing that this there's a silicon based life form out there and mccoy just completely dismisses it he's just like that's impossible that's stupid based on silicon yeah pish posh it makes me think that he had like discovered silicon based life forms a couple of years ago and he was like waiting on a patent or like to finish his doctorate on this very topic so he's like no you stupid that's impossible give me that egg he's just like sweating super hard <laughs> so yeah anyway just like the fact that it was a new type new type of life form it was a sentient life form and it was a life form based on a previously unthinkable uh chemical base that their solution in the end was yeah let it dig around it'll help you out with your little mind well i think that's it for this week then thanks for listening everyone and until we see you next time keep on trekking <laughs> <laughs>